Hello and welcome to another episode of Read and React. I'm Ben Ladner and joining me on the heels of a thrilling game four between the Celtics and the Warriors on the other line is John Sauber. How you doing, man? I mean, not as good as you. This is like you're getting close to watching your favorite team win another title. <laughs> Listen, I'm just pulling for great basketball. If the, if the Warriors no, had you're been not. up 2-1. No, you're, you're pulling for the Warriors. If the Warriors had been up 2-1, I would have pulled for the Celtics. No, you wouldn't have. Because I wanted the series to go back Listen, to San Francisco 2-2. You can lie to yourself all you want. None of us believe you. I don't believe <laughs> you. The listeners don't believe you. We all okay. know. Be that as it may. I actually have had a great week. I really am on top of the world. I feel like... I feel like I need to take a shower after the game I just watched. I don't even have any notes. I just was holding on for dear life as I was watching. I don't. I do not believe for a second that you don't have any. Okay, notes. I have some notes, but I don't have right. many notes. I don't have yeah, as many okay. as usual. Uh, so this is going to be more of an off the cuff episode. But honestly, I, I think that's fitting with the vibe of the game four that we just witnessed. Um, well, it's also every episode for me. Well, sure. Yeah. Uh, I'll just pose this question to you to start. We're going to get into a lot of different angles on this and just kind of see where it goes. But I kind of wanted to pose a question to you. to start. Oh, sure. Yeah, go for it. Why is Draymond Green so scared of the hoop? Well, that's a good question. I started wondering that myself in game three. He, I, I texted you and mentioned that uh, when did Ben Simmons get traded to the Warriors? Because it really was that kind of hoop aversion, right? Like Draymond would would get the four on three and they would abandon him on the way to the rim and he would have a layup and he'd be like, uh, where's Kevon Looney. And then Looney would get the ball like in an isolation against someone that is about his size. And he would like, look at Draymond like, what am I supposed to do with this? Uh, but yeah, he just, I mean, he looks mortified out there. Steve Kerr took him out for an extended stretch in the fourth quarter and it helped, which is not great. Draymond, Draymond made a couple nice passes there at the end of the game to help seal it. But like, he's gotta be better. Like, or, if he's not like you wonder what's left in the tank for him, right? Like what is, if he's going to be scared of the hoop offensively, is he a negative value playoff player? Because that's what happens when you don't get above that threshold. We saw it with Ben Simmons. He didn't get above that threshold as a scorer uh, or at least like as a willing shooter. And he was a, a massive negative for the Sixers and Draymond is like teetering close to that territory. Yeah, it was. And the Celtics to their credit have done a really nice job exploiting Draymond's offensive weaknesses in a way By that other teams have him. not been able to. By not guarding him. Right, exactly. But but even more aggressively than teams like the Mavericks or the Grizzlies did. And the reason for that, it's not that the Mavs and Grizz are dumb. It's that Draymond is really good at leveraging, not getting guarded, into dribble handoffs with Steph and Clay, running pick and rolls. He does a great job like like sprinting into pick and rolls. And you know he knows how to use that space between him and his defender to then create space for Steph, Poole, clay whoever it is coming around that screen but the celtics were kind of just like yeah we don't care we're we're just gonna either bring the defender from somewhere else or we're not gonna have that defender there we're just gonna be cool with these guys taking threes but yeah i mean it was a problem tonight you mentioned him getting benched like steve kerr eventually brought him back in in a weird way like this is total hindsight you know uh, uh monday morning quarterbacking for me i thought both things were the right decision you know, like I thought the stretch that he was out of the game, the Warriors played really well, that kind of paid dividends for them. And then, like you said, he comes back in, he makes a couple of nice passes, kind of greases the offense a little bit, plays good defense and helps them close out the game. So in a weird way, kind of good decision both ways from Steve Kerr, but they are going to have to face this decision at some point in game five, game six, however long the series goes of like, what do we do with Draymond? And I, I know a lot of people have been writing and talking about it 
in the media since game three and even since game two of like, is this going to be a, a big issue? And I think the answer is yes. And, and I mean, what's the solution here? Like, is it because on the, on the, it's easy to say like, well, he should just shoot more, but I don't think that's the answer because Draymond Green's not a good shooter. I mean, is it just put your head down, be more aggressive, get to the basket? Is it more dribble handoffs, more pick and rolls? I mean, what is the solution? Cause they, they need him on the floor. Right? I don't think you can play a whole game and just cut him down to like 24 minutes a game. You need him out there. So like, what's the solution? What's the thing the Warriors can do to turn him into an asset or at least prevent him from completely tanking their offense? I don't know if it's anything they can do as much as it's he needs to be more aggressive. He needs to try and finish when he has an open chance at the rim. Uh, he needs to put pressure on the rim. Like I said, he, he's playing scared, and we haven't seen that from him in years, right? Like that's part of what's made him so great, despite that he's not a great scorer. He'll take the shots when he needs to. Um, I think where a lot of people have been off base, I, I know you mentioned, you know, sort of the conversation around it. We've seen a lot of that based on like, oh, he's only scored four points or whatever he has. Like, that's kind of not it, right? It's it's that he's not taking the shots. Yeah, I'm tired of seeing the uh, so-and-so has more points than Draymond. It's not about the points. Like, it, ignore right. the points with Draymond Green. I don't want to hear about the points. Never been a, a – like, he he's had plenty of finals games where he scored less than 10. Like, yeah. That's not – this is not the point. <laughs> and I don't want to say it that way because it's a pun and I hate – Right. Well, I mean, the, the, the idea of him not being a factor on offense is true, but the evidence for that is not the fact that he's not scoring. It's just the fact that he's not doing anything else. Right. It, it's it's that he's not trying to score when he has opportunities, and sometimes he does try to score when, like, he kind of shouldn't. Like, he, as if he feels like, oh, I, I need to be aggressive and, like, is picking the wrong spots to doing it. Um. I don't know. It's been, it's been a weird Draymond series because he has been pretty off awesome uh, defensively for as awful as he has been offensively, which is weird because like, again, I've seen people saying, Oh, he's getting blown by. And like, that's not true. Like it, it hasn't really, it was a little true in game three when Tatum yeah, a couple was, times with Jalen Brown in game three. Yeah. And, and Tatum, when Tatum wasn't because in game three, Jason Tatum wasn't just trying to draw fouls when he got to the rim. So that allowed him to succeed as something like you and I have talked about a lot with Jason Tatum. Um, I thought, Tonight, for what it's worth, he went back to trying to draw the fouls, and that's part of the reason he didn't have as much success around the rim. Uh, but, yeah, like, yes, one of the best straight-line drive athletes in the NBA, in the world, beat him off the dribble a couple of times. Of course. Like, he's, what, 33 now, I think? 32, it's, maybe? Yeah, it's going to happen. And, yeah. he, and he's got a lot of wear and tear. Uh, but, yeah, like, this idea that he hasn't been good defensively, I think is just flat-out incorrect. No, I agree with that. And, and of course, his help defense and all that has been really good. There have been a few plays, and, and this is a theme of the series, too, where Draymond makes the right play. He, he's in the right spot. He reads the action. And he's either too small or he's too slow or he's not explosive enough. You know, And we see Robert Williams skying in for offensive rebounds, you know, going up for lobs, like all, all this kind of stuff. Like Draymond is in position, and there's really nothing he can do sometimes. But I, th- I agree on the whole he has been pretty good, but you know, let, let's kind of hit on that thread too, though. Cause I think the big theme, especially in game three, and I thought for most of game four until the Warriors kind of went crazy there at the end has been the Celtics physicality, the Celtics athleticism and the Celtics force on both ends of the floor. I thought really the adjustment in game three, if you can even call it that is just that the Celtics played harder. They played harder than they had in game two. They played harder than the Warriors did in game three. And just by by being the aggressor, by meeting the Warriors with force 
and raising the level of intensity. I, I really thought that was the difference in game three. And I thought it was going to be the difference in game four. And the reason they looked like they were on their way to a three, one series lead for most of this game that we, that we just saw, um, you know, the kudos to the warriors for matching that tonight. They were able to kind of ratchet up that intensity, but I think the Celtics athleticism and power and just their youth. I mean, all, all the sort of aspects that come with being the younger team in a series, the aggressiveness, the athleticism have kind of been what have set the Celtics apart in the moments where they aren't just shooting the lights out, which of course they've had, but other than that hot shooting, it's, I think it's really been their aggression and their intensity and their athleticism that has made them when they have been the better team, that's, what's been the difference. Yeah. I mean, I think the shooting is up quite a bit, right? Like they, again, shot better than the warriors from deep tonight, uh, despite losing the game. Um, they've been the better shooting team so far this series. And if that turns the other way, I think it ends quick. I've said that a couple of times um, during the series and before it too, um, before we saw the hot start, like if, if Golden State has an edge there, they have an edge in the entire game. Um, so Boston needs to maintain that edge. But I think you're right. This is just what it looks like when a young team plays an old team. And that's kind of how it's playing out, right? Like this is it, – it's nothing all that surprising. It's it's not even anything that new. It just – Golden State is going to have to win a different way because they can't be the most physical team on the court anymore. Um, that being said, if I have to watch – Marcus Smart and Al Horford reach one more time and not get called for it. I'm going to lose my mind. Yeah, the official. I I didn't want this to bring this up. Ten but... times this game. Ten. Yeah. It is like I understand. Like it's the NBA Finals, and you want to officiate it. Like you want to let them play. You you just you can't reach through a guy to try and strip them of the basketball. You just can't. And Marcus, well, and what about Jason Tatum shoving Steph Curry in the ribs on that right. <laughs> that three? <laughs> right. Like there, there there have been like so many things that are like come on guys, like you have to call that. And it's, that's a major advantage for Boston, like a major, major, this game should not have been close tonight. Uh, honestly, I thought if the officiating were more even Golden State wins game three too. I, I don't know if that's all that controversial or not, but this has been like so poorly officiated and it is, it's driving me nuts. Like, let me watch really good basketball players play really good basketball. Don't make me watch them wrestle. Like, Al Horford is able to guard Steph Curry on the perimeter because he's shoving him and running into him and nothing is getting called every single time. Like he got that. Steph got that switch a couple of times late in the game tonight and he had him isolated and he would try and get to the rim and Al Horford would push him and like, okay, whatever. Like this is how we're doing this, I guess. But yeah, it just drives me nuts. Like I, 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 I've, I've said this before. I wish neither team would win this series. Uh, I it won't surprise anyone. I can't stand Boston. Uh, such a downer, man. No, I, 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 I mean, I'm enjoying the basketball. I'm not okay, saying that. Yeah. like I'm having like I'm having fun, but like I don't you just like want them to play in perpetuity until they both yeah, get tired and give up. And we and like we give the Mavs the title or something like that. OK, like because yeah. they're so exhausted, like because Golden State, it's like sort of the old guard thing. It's like, oh, I've seen this before. It's less fun. It's less parody. So you'd think I'd be rooting for the Celtics, but I can't, I, I just can't, like, I, I will never get there. I will never root for the Boston Celtics. Uh, and, you know, that's my Sixers fandom coming through, of course. But like, it's one of those things where it's like, I, like you said, I wish they'd play in a perpetuity. Um, so I, I'm not, I don't have like a real rooting interest in the series other than like make it end. So I don't have to deal with like, whenever it ends, I'm going to be upset no matter who wins. So just like, let's get mm. to that point. So I don't have to, you know, have it looming. Uh, for the next like week and a half, but the officiating has been so one-sided this series. Like it's, it, it is, it is pretty ridiculous. 
So I thought Boston got a bit of a tough whistle in game two. And you'll remember that was the game that Golden State really set the physical tone. And then Boston raised that bar in game three. And I actually thought Boston got a favorable whistle in game three. And I think probably a slightly favorable whistle in game four. Not as bad to me as game three, which was really like, I mean, Steph and Draymond were both in foul trouble. That didn't end up affecting, at least for Steph, the minutes all that much. Draymond obviously fouled out. But I just thought some of the calls throughout both of these last two games have been um, a little it's lopsided, not, which isn't to say that Golden State hasn't it's gotten away they, with stuff. But it's like, that they won't make the calls. Like, that's what drives me nuts. Like, if, if Al Horford is staying with Steph one-on-one, something is wrong there. It is, it is not because he is, like, suddenly rejuvenated and got amazing feet. Like, he has really good feet, and he moves his feet well for being his size. He's also going to get blown by by Steph Curry, and when he's, uh, he feels that happening, he puts his arm into him. Well, and, and especially because we've seen him get torched repeatedly in pick and roll yes. defense in this series, which is actually a big reason why the Warriors have been able to score, and particularly Steph Curry has been able to score in this series, is because they keep dragging Al Horford into the action and trying to make him guard and pick and roll, and he can't do it. You know, I will say this, as much as I love Al Horford's game, he makes a lot of dumb plays for a player who's so smart. So does Draymond. You know what I mean? It like Al Horford is this really smart player. He sees the game really well. He makes these really nice connective plays. He is a smart defender. I, I don't think he's a dumb player, but there are just some of these plays where you watch him and he's, he's dropping five feet back behind the three point line against Steph Curry. And it's like, I mean, maybe Ime Udoka is like, don't get higher up than this. And in that case, then I, I take back my Al Horford slander, but and I can't imagine Ime that's Udoka. the I can't imagine that's the game plan where you're telling him to stay back so Steph Curry can walk into an open three. I actually thought they did a better job in game four getting up to the level of the ball and containing him a little bit more in pick and roll. And you know, Curry just hit some ridiculous shots, especially in the second half. So it, that was a little better tonight. But like, so, and even on offense sometimes too, where it's like, Sometimes Horford can get some tunnel vision, especially under the basket, you know, and like doesn't really have much of a post game for a guy who's 6'10". And like, I have heard a lot of like, well, Horford should go down. If he has Curry on him, just go punish him in the post. I'm like, have y'all seen Al Horford try to post? <laughs> yeah, it's just going to turn into a 14-footer fadeaway. He just buries his shoulder and then throws up like a, a left shoulder hook. Doesn't even extend his elbow all the way, just sort of yeah. Like shot puts it off the glass. Anyway, I like Al Horford. I don't want to like rip Al Horford. This but like I time, said, but... at the start of this mini rant, like Draymond does the same stuff. Like, yeah. no matter how brilliant these guys are, nobody likes to turn the ball over in stupid situations more than Draymond does. Like it is. Except sometimes the Celtics. Yes, that's true. But like for being as good as he is offensively, like the mistakes he makes are like almost unfathomable. Yeah. So I want to throw this at you. Tell me what you think of this comparison. I was thinking of this as I was watching the game and we've talked about younger, more athletic team, sort of two primary wing superstars against this veteran, experienced, seasoned team that's been there before but has maybe lost a step. This series is starting to remind me of kind of a poor man's 2014 finals, Miami versus San Antonio. Obviously, Boston is the Miami here. Golden State is the San Antonio. And we know how that series ended. It was the Spurs sort of decimating the heat. Not, I mean, that, that was a much more lopsided series than this one will end up being. Um, but that's kind of the style that this series has to me. I think Boston is actually doing a better job kind of imposing its physical advantages than Miami did in that series. But just the sort of smart veteran team against this, you know, young athletic in their prime or close to it, young, you know, up and coming or, or like, you know, younger team, essentially um, in Boston. What, what do you think of that 
uh, that comparison. I assume you just mean from this series standpoint, because like the tra- trajectories of the franchise. Yes, you just in terms like of the style different. of the series. Yeah, but I mean, also like that Miami team was so much better than this Boston team that it makes it tough, right? Like, and I don't, that Spurs, the Spurs and Warriors teams are pretty similar to me. Uh, which honestly makes it more surprising that this is this close of a series so far. And I think that says a lot about the shooting edge that Boston has had. Uh, But yeah, I I get it. Like stylistically, it's kind of similar, but at the end of the day, like D Wade and LeBron were, were attacking much more than even Tatum and Brown are right. Like, like Jason Tatum is kind of averse to attacking to finish and LeBron and and Dwayne Wade were not doing that. They were going to the rim to finish through contact, uh, you know, whether or not it came. And yeah, I just think like, this is a Boston team that's more willing to settle for bad shots offensively, right? Like from a youthful sort, even then, like I, this Boston team is way younger than that Miami team is like, and it's, it's best players anyways. I don't know. I like they're similar athletically, I guess, but they use it in a different way. And they, they sure. And the warriors also use their lack of athleticism in a different way. Like it's, I guess the only line I'm drawing there is the athleticism, but even then, like that version of LeBron was the would be the best athlete in this finals, like oh, by easily. far. Yeah. And like Dwayne Wade might be the second best athlete. And if he's not, it's Jalen Brown and he's third. So like, it's, yeah, uh, it, I think it's closer. It, it, the Spurs and Warriors thing, I think is closer than the, the Boston Miami part of it. I would agree with that. You mentioned just then, and then a little bit earlier as well, you touched on it, Jason Tatum tonight, looking more to seek contact on his drives, as opposed to game three, where I thought that was his best game, maybe all playoffs, of driving to finish maybe that that uh, the best of his career with with like driving with intent yeah maybe the first half of game one against miami would be the only other candidate there yeah, that, he was that went away you know at right it, it wasn't as sustained i thought game three he was just getting downhill and finishing at the rim using his size to actually go up and score jeff and gundy noted this repeatedly on the broadcast that he wasn't trying to like rip his arms through do the james harden and draw fouls he was actually going up to try and score. And I thought game three relatedly and part of game four, honestly, these were the first two games, all playoffs where I've really felt like Steph Curry has been taken advantage of defensively. You know, I think for the most part, he's really held up. And we talked before the series that we didn't really think that Boston would be able to target him other than maybe Jalen Brown because of his speed, but game three kind of disproved that to an extent where Jason Tatum was just getting him driving, attacking, right putting him underneath the basket and just using his size. Even Marcus Smart was getting a matchup advantage on Curry. I thought Boston did a much better job, just a much smarter job, really, of attacking the Curry matchup in game three than they did in games one and two. Um, And then tonight was kind of the same way. The Warriors just did a better job kind of keeping him away from those matchups. Um, Although they did, as a side note, they did play the four-guard lineup of Peyton, Poole, Curry, and Thompson with either green or loony at center. I thought that was kind of interesting. I don't think that's like a, a sustainable full-time thing, but it's an interesting sort of change of pace, five minute a game kind of thing. Um, but what do you think of the way that Boston attacked, particularly against those matchups in games three versus tonight in game four? Yeah, I, I think you're right that they, they attacked more with it, but it's at the end of the day, I don't really want any of those guys attacking unless it's Jalen Brown, right? Like, because like we said, Jason Tatum isn't always attacking with the intent of finishing, and when he's when he's settling for those mid-range jumpers, it kind of doesn't matter who's on him, like if it's Steph or if it's you know Paul or Clay or whoever, like he's taller than them, he'll get that shot off and they're not going to contest it. So attacking Steph isn't much different than attacking the other guys. 
Um, I would be sending Jalen Brown at Steph constantly, though, because he's the one that has the massive athletic advantage, the, the physicality advantage, the strength advantage, the, uh, the, the size advantage, the advantage at the rim, like with his ability to finish. Uh, and I think if they're going to attack in that way, that it should be Jalen Brown consistently, because to me, there aren't a ton of other options where you feel confident that guys are going to do it unless Tatum starts attacking with intent again, like he did in game three. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice, and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. So here's the question I was going to pose to you at the top. Is this the best game we've seen in these playoffs? Oh, I don't know. Game seven of Suns Mavs was up there. Uh, <laughs> that's so tough. Let, me, some... let me clarify. Best meaning quality of play, not uh, yeah. cathartic value. <laughs> well, few few games made me as happy as that other than the six. There, there were some first round games that were pretty awesome. I don't know. Nets Celtics game one. Yeah. To me, that's that might be the only other contender. I mean, that, that Sixers Raptors game that ended with the Embiid uh, fadeaway oh, yeah. uh, yeah. is up there. Um, I feel like I'm forgetting a Grizzlies game. Oh, a couple of those Grizzlies Wolves games uh, were yes. awesome. A couple of the Grizz Warriors, too. Yeah, I think we might just be, it might be recency bias to say, right? Yeah. That it's well, but the stakes, too. I mean, that's, that's what <laughs> does it for me to see an NBA Finals game, especially, I mean, Game four is always pivotal, right? Unless uh, a team is up 3-0. This, this 2-1, especially road team being down 2-1, coming into the hostile environment. And the TD Garden, I will say, is a hostile environment. I mean, they've, they've played a role now in multiple series in these playoffs. To come in there down 2-1 in a game, like, a, I mean, we say it all the time, pivotal game four. I mean, this actually was a pivotal game, and the Warriors got one of the gutsiest wins that you'll see any team get in any playoff game in the NBA Finals. I think, to me, those stakes combined with the quality of play, the talent on the floor, the coaching, the execution, all of it. This whole series has been just incredibly high-level basketball to me, and this game, I think, has been so far, and hopefully it continues to get better, but so far this was the culmination of just a ridiculously high-level series. I I think that... I mean, if we're going to add the stakes into it, then of course, like everything later is better. Right. Like, right. But I think if we're talking strictly from a basketball standpoint, there are definitely games that are in contention with just as good okay. as this. Um, you know, the, a lot of those games we mentioned, I think are definitely in that group. Uh, I'm trying to think of other games throughout this playoff. I, I, it's funny. I, it's one of those things where you could be like name four NBA teams. And I don't know if I could name. <laughs> three. I, I you know your mind just goes completely blank as soon as you start thinking about them. But yeah, there were, I mean, there were a lot of fun series early on, even if it, none of them went to seven that has like 
amazing games in them that yeah. I remember. I vividly remember coming on this podcast or texting you and talking about that was like what an amazing game that was. So I don't know. It was definitely the most high stakes and that sort of raised the, the level. But to me, it probably isn't better than like, I bet you we could find one or two if we went back and watched that were better. Maybe so. I definitely do plan on rewatching it though tomorrow. We have we have two days off between all these games. I don't know what to do with my time. I told you the other day I watched like most of the 2016 West Finals the other night because I had nothing better to do. You could do what I do and watch the uh, eight game winning streak Philadelphia Phillies. Actually, what I have been doing is watching the nine game winning streak Atlanta Braves, and they're playing the Pirates, so that's going to keep going. They are. They played the A's recently, and the Phillies are playing the Diamondbacks, so we got a good shot of keeping that one rolling too. You and I are going to be pretty. It's been good times down here in Atlanta. That's right. Um, so I'll say I did not think the Warriors, I was not convinced or convinced is the wrong word. Cause that implies a level of certainty. I did not believe the Warriors were going to win this game until there were about two and a half minutes left in the game. Like I just felt like to me, it felt like the Warriors kept making these pushes. Steph kept hitting these shots, but they just could not sustain a run. It felt like, and this was the case in game three too. Every time the Warriors got the lead or cut it to one or whatever it was, there's Marcus Smart hitting a corner three. There's Jalen Brown getting to the basket for a tough layup. You know, there's Tatum actually was not super involved down the stretch. Maybe we can talk about that if you want to. He scored three points in the fourth quarter. Yeah, and, and he really wasn't even touching the ball for most of crunch time. But it felt like Boston had the answer every time Golden State was hitting a shot. And with the home crowd and the way they've been playing, I thought they were just the better team for most of this game. It felt to me like, okay, Boston is going to end up kind of pulling this one out and it's going to be like a gut punch loss for the Warriors and they're going to lose by three or something. But, you know, then Steph Curry kind of happened. The Boston offense went cold. Draymond Green comes back in the game, like we said, and makes an impact. Kevon Looney was really good down the stretch. Boston missed just enough shots. The Warriors made just enough plays combined with just enough ridiculous Steph Curry shots for them to hang on. But I, I really was not sold on golden state's performance tonight which i guess you could say is either a positive or a negative you could say you know they didn't play all that well so maybe we have more faith in boston or they didn't play well they still won they could play better they're going home how do you kind of look at this where is the momentum in this series after this game i mean it feels like it has to be with golden state right uh winning a game that maybe they shouldn't have like uh like you said uh although i i don't know that i ever felt like oh yeah boston's gonna you know close it out here sort of thing. Uh, maybe a little bit in the third quarter uh, when, when Golden State kind of didn't go on a run. Right. That and was then, what like, scared me. It was like, it was close at halftime. I was like, okay. Oh, well, it's scared. Golden. You see, you, this is, that's the Warriors fan. <laughs> there it is. Well, I no, that, that's the me wanting it to be too, too. Uh-huh. Oh yeah, for sure. That's what that is. But when they don't make that, you can, you kind of, at this point you bank on them making that run when they don't do it. It's like, well, Boston's kind of owned the fourth quarter in, in this series. So, yeah, and, and then that was—I guess—that's the other storyline from this game. The Warriors actually controlled the fourth in a way that they have not been able to in the first three games. Well, and like you said, Tatum didn't touch the ball much. I don't think that's like the worst idea in the world. He takes a lot of bad shots if he's not being aggressive toward the rim. Like I want him creating threes, but I—I I don't know. I think I'd rather have Jalen Brown, like I said, attacking the rim and generating open looks in other ways other than him isolating. And if he's not isolating, then he doesn't really need as many touches. And you know, I don't know. I don't know that he's. I don't know that him not being as involved is like the reason they lost or anything like that. I think it's, it's, it's more about the way he was trying to score, put them in that position anyways. Right. That then like him not getting the ball causing it. 
Let me ask you a question, just point blank. Do you think Jason Tatum is good? Yeah, of course. Okay. <laughs> no, I mean, but like he's, he's I feel at, like every he's time you talk off. about him, you're like, yeah, you want him to shoot. That's what you want is the defense. Oh, you do though, right? Like he's, but it's not just him. Like I talk about Devin Booker in this way, although I actually yeah. don't think Devin Booker is good, which is definitely <laughs> going to be a take. Uh, but Tatum is like a is a much better passer than Booker is. He's a much better defender yeah. on it and off the ball. Like he's a better shooter than Booker is. Like he's better at everything than Devin Booker, even those like bad shots like that he'll take. But that's any guy other than like Kawhi Leonard in the entire NBA that is willing to take those shots. You want it like if Steph was shooting from there, like those turnarounds from 18 feet, yeah. I'd want him taking those shots rather than the other better shots that he would okay. take. Like it's just that he's more willing to take them than other people. Yeah. Um, he's he's one of the what 10 to 15 best defenders in the NBA, like all around defenders. He's in, so. at, at this point an excellent facilitator, especially out of the pick and roll and, and does a good job of attacking and finding teammates on the perimeter. Uh, like that's the that's the big part of his game. That's a massive advantage when he's attacking the rim. It's that, that he can find teammates It's not necessarily the finishing because he doesn't try yeah. to do it as much. But I, I think it probably feels that way because he's in the NBA finals and he has a chance to win finals MVP. And he kind of has to carry his team in a better way. If he wants to be in this echelon of player, like this is no longer is Jason Tatum, a top 20 player in the NBA. This is, is he a top 10 to 12 player in the NBA? And like those discussions are different. Whereas with Devin okay. Booker, everyone else is having, is he a top 15 player? And I'm having, is he a top 50 player? That's fair. I just wanted to make clear to the listeners that you do think Jason Tatum is good. Yes. He's okay. excellent. Like he Good. is, he is there, there. When we do our top 30, I would venture to guess he, he probably won't be top five. It's just so hard to get into that group. No, but, it's, it's especially with the way Steph is playing right now. It's impossible. Yeah. To it's, he's probably pretty firmly top 10 though. I would think and at the absolute lowest, like 12th and like, I don't know if you think it's a criticism to call him the 12th best player in the NBA, then sure. I, I think, Oh he's no, up. I don't. I just, no, I'm not but, saying you. I'm saying in general, like if yeah, people yeah, that's yeah. a criticism, then I guess I'm at the wrong end of that. But no, I think he's a top twelve player in the NBA. Okay, just like you again, the scrutiny is is different. Yes, when you're at this level, I agree with you, and I I I thought that was the case. I just wanted to make sure the listeners knew that you didn't think you because it feels like every time we talk about Tatum, you're just kind of like, yeah, I don't know, kind of want him to shoot. He's not this. He's not that good at this. He's bad at that. You know, well, it's it's this thing where like he is he's so universally like not, I don't want to say beloved, but like praise that like a lot of his warts kind of go. Cause his, it's not just that he is like really good. It's that he plays a way that like a, that old school fans like more. I know what right? you mean. Yeah. Yeah. And so like, so like you have to kind of, I don't want to say hold him to account more, but like be more, you have to scrutinize him more. Right. And like we both, I think, think Kevin Durant is pretty safely a top 10 player in the NBA. Yes, easily. Yeah. Okay. Well, speaking of top 10, five players in the NBA, let's talk about Steph Curry. We've probably gone long enough without talking about him. Uh, top five, huh? He had 43 points in this game. No, no, no. You're not getting away from that. What? Top five? Player in the NBA? Yeah. Steph? Yeah. I think he's safely in the top five. But we'll, we'll get to that in the offseason. But let's talk about how good he's been because he came into these, he came into game four shooting 50% from three in the finals. He's averaging 33 points per 75 on 64% true shooting coming into game four. And then in game four, he shoots seven of 14 from three, 14 to 26 from the field, grabs 10 boards, scores 43 points, doing things that 
only Michael and LeBron have ever done. I mean, it's like he I cannot believe how good he's been in the playoffs. And you and I both kind of expressed doubts about it coming into the playoffs about whether he was still that guy, whether he's still a top five player, you know, whether he's still one of the one or two best offensive forces in the NBA, the postseason and particularly these finals have proven pretty definitively. He is very much that guy. And like, you know, that I like to approach NBA analysis as a, as objectively and as level-headedly as I can, but you also know that I am a, a sworn Steph loyalist. Oh, here we go. And I so I'm going to put that hat on for a second. Uh, you're always wearing that and hat. just say, no, 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 own it. Cause I own the Sixers thing. You're always wearing that hat. I'm going to wear it on my sleeve now and just say that I hope this series and these playoffs will finally earn Steph Curry some damn respect. I mean, what is it going to take for oh people to acknowledge ben, how good ben, this is? Ben, no, well, no one's disrespecting Steph Curry. I, I think we listen to different people then because Who the conversation I hear about Steph Curry from most pe- fans, media, even people Who? I respect. And I just, the idea that, oh, he's not good in the finals. Who has anyone ever these said common that? Narr- these are common. Narr- the Steph- so Dude, the Steph Curry is bad in the finals is a common narrative. That is, that is like a widely propagated idea that has been around for years. Listen, I haven't heard anyone say that. Maybe it's because we're listening to different people. I hear that every year. Oh, no, Ben. I hear it every single year. Is there any, saying, do you want to attack like the, the casuals anymore? Is there anything else you need to get off your it, chest? This is the thing, though. It's not just the casuals. Like, If it were just the casuals, I would be able to leave it alone. I just like I don't think saying a guy is a top five player instead of a top three players like some massive criticism does it's, it's not doesn't... that it's, it's the specific people it's it's the here's here's my issue okay this is maybe yeah, a... no, yeah just just outline what exactly you're talking about okay here. i i think there are a lot of smart analysts who i respect whose opinions i, I mostly respect who sort of understand concept seem to understand conceptually oh steph curry he has all this value as a as a off-ball mover and as a screener and his his relocation and his gravity and all this stuff and they sort of seem to conceptually understand that that stuff exists but then fail to sort of take the next step and recognize the value of that there seems to be this tendency to sort of recognize that he has these attributes but then a failure to actually put together what, what value those attributes have on the court and that's kind of my issue we need to take it the step further and say, because of these, it's not just that he does these things, but because of these things, he adds this level of value on the court. And I think that next step is the one that people often don't take and why I, I perceive him to be one of the more underrated players of the last, I don't know, decade. I just, I'm so glad he played well tonight so you can do this. Like he's, I just, he's played well for the last two months. I mean, he's on a two month long heater because he's, you know, better than all but a couple guys in the world. I, he does not get talked about for that way for whatever reason. It's probably because he's six, three and he doesn't shoot over people the way some other guys do. I, I just don't understand this tendency to gloss over some of the stuff he does that no one else can do just because it looks different. That's all I'm saying. I just like, I don't, I don't know. I don't care. Like I, I, you know what? That's the correct take. I know that I shouldn't care about this. I recognize that this is irrational. I know that. And yet it still bothers me. He's, he's an all-time great, whether that's sixth, 10th, eighth, whatever. He's one of the best players of his generation, whether that's second, fourth, 
we're splitting hairs. Like I agree. I'm just saying, let's agree that he's in the top 10. Like, let's agree that that's where the threshold starts. I don't, I don't think anyone's saying he's not in the top 10. John, we listen to different people. I, I don't know what you're listening to. I, 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 I feel like you've found like the version of us. That's like, look at their points per game. And that's like all you listen to at this. Well, point. I do think NBA analysis has become a little two points per game heavy, but that's a oh, different. Of course it, yeah. th- no, that's not a different discussion. That's a discussion worth having. It's one we have every episode because we always talk about Devin Booker. <laughs> yeah. Why do we always talk about Devin Booker? Because he's the example of that. That's like, our issue is not with players like that. Our issue is not with, uh, them in general, like those players specifically, either our issue is with people saying, Look at how many points he scored. Yeah, he's well, good. Here's the other baffling thing, though Steph Curry averages a ton of points per game on ridiculous efficiency. So, like, it should be the case that even the guys who are like, Well, points per game and true shooting percentage still- should still recognize Steph as this level of player, and yet many of them still do not because of the way he scores. Yes, exactly. That's it. Like, it's, I don't know. I just don't know why you care. Like, I don't I, either. Yeah, I don't know. Have I ever gotten this route up about Embiid on this podcast? Yeah, probably. I don't know. All I'm saying is I, I just hope that these finals will illuminate to certain people how good Steph is and has been. Wow, for- you called him a has-been? <laughs> yeah, that's right. He's, he's done. <laughs> he's washed. As tonight clearly showed. Um, okay. Anyway, let's let's get back on track. Did we ever go off track? <laughs> I thought I thought this was in the outline. Yeah, this was pretty much as on brand as this show gets. So, old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice, and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven! Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. A couple other things from a Warriors perspective. Clay and Steph tonight were 11 of 24 from three. Two things about that. Clay starting to come on a little bit the last couple of games. That's encouraging. And then the flip side is that the rest of the team was, uh, what were they? Bad. 18, four of 18, if my math is correct, just real quick. Um, yeah, not good from three. They're going to need some more production. Like as, as good as Steph has been and as much faith as I have in him, I, I don't, I mean, I don't know that you can bank on a guy just dropping 35 to 40 every night. Oh, I thought he was so great that you can. Well, he may be. I mean, this... This, I hope this you, will be the test you know case that, for like, it. You've opened the door for me to antagonize you at every turn now, just like you do to me with the Embiid stuff. Yeah, well, but like, but you get what I'm saying, though, right? I mean, you need the Warriors need to find another source of offense here. Yes. Um, and because I don't know Steph if that's going to be Jordan Poole or what, but yeah, Steph is not capable of carrying the team by himself, so they need another source of offense. That's right. That's right. <laughs> you know who um, could carry it by themselves? 
Go ahead. Say it. Devin Booker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. What do you make of, of Clay's recent sort of semi-emergence? Is that anything to you? Is it nothing? No, like he just, he just made more shots. Like he's, he's looks okay. exactly the same. Like yeah. it's, he's still taking a bunch of bad shots. He's still taking a bunch of good shots and he likes to shoot. He's always going to shoot when he can. And uh, when the good ones go or when, yeah, when the good ones go in, he's going to look better. And when uh, he's missing those, then he's going to look worse. Like the bad ones are probably going to hit at the same clip, no matter what. We should also say Otto Porter Jr. Started this game. What did you think of that adjustment? Do you think that's the right? I mean, Looney still played a ton of minutes. He closed the game. Yeah, he was in it over Draymond for a lot of that fourth quarter. What did you think of that adjustment? That it didn't actually do anything. Like it didn't matter. Like there was no real adjustment there, right? Like it was, it was, yeah, he played a shift more and that was it. Like there was nothing major there. I don't know if the, I'm fine with him playing either with, depending on how Robert Williams looks, if Robert Williams looks really good, I would want Looney out there. If he doesn't like then sick Otto Porter Jr. out there. Um, and that's kind of it. Robert Williams, by the way, looked more mobile tonight. I think this is the most mobile we looked. Yes, I I think he has been a total game changer the last two games. I would even try to find more minutes for him if I were Ime Udoka. He only played, well, I guess he played 31 tonight, but you know, yeah. Tatum and Brown were up in the 40s. Well, you have to wonder how much like the, the knee is like a factor there. Yeah. It's hard to call for more minutes when we don't know how he is medically. Right, right. And and game three, I thought was his best game of the series, and he was just flying at four four blocks 10 rebounds was a vertical right after he was atrocious in game two yeah and and the Warriors haven't been able to pick on him as much in pick and roll which is part of why they've switched over to Al Horford and going after him Williams has like you said been more mobile and the Celtics have done a better job kind of protecting him and keeping him closer to the rim Um, those I think both of the front courts in this series we've seen Ime Udoka start to go with like the very early hook putting Derek White in for Robert Williams and playing small with Horford at center. And then you basically just like Daniel Tice is out of the rotation. You just have Horford and Williams as your two centers. And then for Kerr, we mentioned the Porter adjustment. You now just have Looney and Draymond. Those are the two guys you're alternating them. The front courts, we identified that I think coming into the series as like, when would each coach go small? Who would go small first? To what degree would that matter? It has mattered a lot in this series. And both coaches seem to be really trying to find as many small ball minutes as they can just to keep more spacing on the floor. And I think we've seen the benefits of that for both teams more than we've probably seen the downsides. Would you agree with that? Yep. Good. I'm glad. Uh, let's see. We've reached the limit. Let's see what else I had on this. Oh, oh, um, well, let's see what else he had. Cause he's got notes. Grant Williams. I think we talked about this after game two. I just like, what is, what does he do in this series? He's kind of not helpful at all. Like everything he does, Al Horford does, but better. And uh, especially if Horford's going to get away with, you know, fouling every time he's defending in isolation uh, and everything he doesn't do, Robert Williams does. So it's like he's, they have this sort of foil to Al Horford already. Yeah. Only played 13 minutes tonight. I've heard, you know, in some corners, people talking about maybe you play Grant Williams at the five for a couple minutes, go super small to try to match the Warriors going small. I just don't get the point of that because like the whole point of Grant Williams in theory is that he can switch onto someone like Steph. You can run a switch everything scheme with him. If he's your five or if he's your four, you can switch one through four. But if he's not going to be a viable option to switch on Steph, he's not protecting the rim. He's not really making plays in the passing lanes or anything. He's hitting, hitting shots to an extent, I guess. But like if, if he can't handle that 
matchup on the perimeter. It's just not clear to me what he does. The problem, of course, is that the Celtics are pretty thin. Like Peyton Pritchard played 10 minutes tonight. Derek White played 36 off the bench. I mean, they're kind of going with like a six-man rotation and then whatever they can get out of Williams and Pritchard. That, I guess, if you're a Celtics fan, is maybe cause for pessimism that those guys who played well early in the series now seem to be maybe being marginalized a little bit. On the flip side, the Warriors don't have a ton of reliable depth either. Like Gary Payton has been hit or miss when he's been healthy. Otto Porter was not great tonight. He's been better at other points in the series. It's just hard to know whose depth to trust more in this series. But, you know, that may be the thing that swings it. You know, whoever's bench steps up in the last three games, you know, maybe that's the determinant. Well, we talked about this before the series started, right? And I did specifically like with Boston not having enough depth because I don't trust Peyton Pritchard. I don't like Grant Williams, like you said, is hit or miss. I trusted Derek White the most of that group, like for good reason. Like, I, I just don't know that they have more than six at this point. And if you don't have more than six, it's going to be really tough to go deep into a series against the Warriors who can go deeper, um, who can exhaust you as well. Like, I don't know. Uh, I, I think that's still an issue. I think to – uh, sort of pat our own backs again. Like this continues to go a lot of the ways that we thought it would, right? Like this has been a, I don't want to call it predictable, but in a way, like it's been a weirdly predictable series. Uh, it's just the outcomes are not always what we expected, but it's kind of going how we thought it would. Yeah. I think the last two games have been a little bit more surprising for me just because, I mean, that's generally how it goes. You have an idea of what to expect coming in game one, you adjust your opinion and then, steadily gets more unpredictable. So I'm excited for the last three games. Cause I think at this rate by game seven, it's just going to be a complete madhouse. We'll have no idea what to expect. Um, the other, my, my last note on this, well, I've, I guess two more notes, golden state better in transition than Boston was tonight. And then Boston's ball movement, I thought was pretty good to start out. Obviously it was really good in game three Brown and Tatum were really moving the ball in the half court making those early skip passes to set up shooters or just trigger drive and kicks first half tonight. I thought that was pretty good. And then the warriors were eventually able to kind of stymie that a little bit, force those guys into some tougher decisions, shrink the floor a little bit better by bringing those help defenders. And then, you know, close out the, the warriors just seem to have this knack of like being able to help and shrink the floor, but also get back to shooters and they didn't do a great job of that in game three. They helped probably a little too much and a little too early. And they did that a couple times tonight. But I thought by the end of it, they kind of corrected that. And just their ability to cover ground defensively makes life hard on Boston at times. And I, I'm curious to see what the Celtics do to try to try to work around that. I don't know that they can. Uh, you know, I, I think that's sort of just an inherent advantage that Golden State's going to have. Um, that we're going to see play out. And again, I still think Golden State wins this series. Like I haven't kind of strayed away from that thought. That'll obviously go at least a game deeper than I thought it would. Although again, I said I would have picked Golden State in six had you not picked Golden State in six, but I still think Golden State in seven at this point is the most likely outcome no matter what. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I just want the draft to be here. God, you're, I can't believe this. We're in the midst of an amazing NBA finals. And you're like, you're I know I'm enjoying the basketball. I just don't like either of these teams. I like both these teams a lot. I have really enjoyed watching both these teams. Of course you do. Hey, Liz, I like basketball. Don't, don't, don't get on my case for liking basketball. Dare That's you. why we're here. It's gross. It's disgusting. Dallas and Miami would have been a lot more fun. Enjoying high level execution. Yeah, Talented players. Get out of here. Such a loser. I really, I, I, this series deserves to be 
two, two going back to San Francisco. It really does. I mean, I just think both these teams are so good. And I, I mean, as I've said all along, I just hope this series goes seven. You'll get on me. You say a Warriors fan. Admittedly, I do prefer the way the Warriors play. I like their style better. That's just a hope this goes six and Golden State closes it out in Boston. Stop I, I truly don't. I truly no, don't. You hope don't. I don't. But no one believes you. Well, that's fine. Not me. Not the listener. Not anybody. That's fine. I just, I just want. And they shouldn't. As much good basketball as possible. And and yeah, my, my aesthetic preference leans toward Golden State. But hey. Boston. I want been, you to know you're saying this after you just went on like this, what, 12 minute Steph Curry rant. Like you're, you're out here pretending that like, I have no real preference for this series. Well, listen, once people start talking about Jason Tatum, like he sucks in the playoffs, I'll start talking about how good Jason Tatum is in the playoffs. Hold on. I do that. <laughs> well, yeah. And then I, and then I called you out for it. <laughs> so there I, didn't, you go. I didn't even say he sucks. I just said he's, you know, it's a different level of screen. He has been really good. He actually has gotten better from yeah. the start of the playoffs, at least offensively. He's gotten now. better, I think, at, at everything but the the rim stuff, yeah. which is where he needs to – like, that's the next step for him. And the, the good part is that he's still just a 19-year-old rookie, so he's got time. Plenty of time to grow. This this core has unli- truly unlimited potential. Jason Tatum's ability to remain 19 years old it, makes it the, future, the future eternally bright. Yes, legitimately unlimited potential. Before we get out of here, or at least before we move on to some – league news you kind of answer you still have golden state in six is that what you said uh i mean it's probably seven but i'll say six yeah okay i I'm would say, say five if i could i'm actually kind of leaning boston in seven right oh, now Oh no you're not you're trying to overcompensate dude, no dude not the celtics have outplayed the warriors no, you're not. they've not. outplayed the warriors in this series the warriors have the best player by far and other than there that, the Celtics have outplayed. I mean, I that's just no one is going to dispute that. Like, that's just not. Uh, even. I don't know. They don't have a 19-year-old Jason Tatum on their team. But other than Steph Curry just being like on fire, the Celtics have outplayed the Warriors for most of the series. That that gives me hope that they will probably win the series. I mean, I don't know. I think it's a true coin flip. But if I had to pick, I would say Celtics in seven. I think they're good enough to win on the road. I can't believe how good the series. This is such awesome basketball. This is it's so great. I know. Just think when Chet Holmgren and Jabari Smith are doing this. I'm so happy we get to watch this. This is, this is amazing. Okay, let's get to some news. I think just one item that we really need to discuss, and that is earlier today, Kenny Atkinson, assistant coach on the Warriors staff, uh, now becoming the second Warriors assistant these playoffs to get hired as an NBA coach. He will now be the coach of the Charlotte Hornets. Um, reportedly it was, hasn't been announced yet well it's been reported they, they will name him yeah. according to Woj, which is you know as good as official um it was reportedly between him and mike d'antoni they both those candidates met with michael jordan and mitch kupchak and all the hornets brass earlier this week what do you think of this hire i mean it, to me it's kind of like you're getting a better version of james borrego who you just fired which i think makes the borrego firing defensible and like atkinson has kind of proven he can build with a young team kind of take them to that next level. And, you know, truthfully, we don't know that he can't take them to the next, next level, right? He kind of got booted out of Brooklyn before we really found that out. So, you know, I could very well see him being the long-term guy for this Hornets team as they gradually progress through the ranks of the Eastern conference. But I think just getting a guy, you know, can kind of establish a culture, establish a system, get, you know, a guy like LaMelo ball, put the ball in his hands. I mean, hell, he, Help D'Angelo Russell make the all-star team. Like, I mean, imagine what he can do with LaMelo Ball. 
I just can't wait to see him eat his own earwax on the sideline again. Great stuff. It was the most, that's still one of the most disgusting things I've ever seen in my entire life. Wasn't that Quinn Snyder? No, it was, he, Quinn Snyder picked his nose. Oh, that was it. Yeah. (laughs) Kenny Atkinson got some earwax, rolled it up in a ball and then applied it like, like. Oh, that's right. Yeah, he did. Yeah. (laughs) That is like, oh man. Honestly though, if you had to like, if you lined up all of the NBA coaches and like in a line. And we'll, we'll throw Quinn Snyder in as the jazz coaches representative. You said you get two picks. One of these dudes picked their nose and ate it. The other one was applying his own earwax as chapstick. I would pick those two so quickly. I don't know which one would be which. Like I would, I might even say Quinn Snyder to do the earwax thing, but like it's easily those two. As I the don't guy. know. Mike Budenholzer kind of looks like a no, he's earwax not, chapstick kind of guy. No. Cause like there's a, like there's a demeanor to, Kenny Atkinson and Quinn Snyder, like there's sort of the, the maniac demeanor, like the they're all over the place all the time. Haven't slept in five days. Yeah. 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 Mike Budenholzer looks like he just woke up from a 48 hour nap. Uh, but like those two, it looks like they look like they're just ready to eat whatever stuff they can find, including their own boogers. But no, we talked about this hire before a little bit before it was yeah. official. Uh, you know, I, I stand by what I said then, like Mike D'Antoni, as much as I like him, I think would have been a mistake. Um, I still don't think they're justified for firing Borrego as much as I like Atkinson because I thought Borrego was doing a good job and there was more there. Um, and I'm glad to see Michael Jordan uh, didn't interfere and make them hire Dan Tony. Yeah, taking the patient path. That's uh, always good to see from an owner. That Although I think there's an argument to be made that this is not the patient path. I think it's the right hire. But I think their thought process might not be like, oh, we can get some player development, get these mm-hmm. guys rolling. I think it might be like, look what he did with that Nets team. He maximized this low level of talent, right? Like it might be like he might see it as a uh, floor raiser when it's actually probably a ceiling raiser. Yeah, maybe so. And and they're going to have an interesting offseason too with like Miles Bridges, PJ Washington, some decisions to make on those guys um, getting a center. That's going to be an important thing to do. They have, again, I will advocate for Mark Williams for that team because I think he's such an awesome fit there. Um, but no, there will be centers that they can get. Yusuf Nurkic is one of those guys I think would be interesting to end up there. They, they I imagine, will be all over Gobert when he becomes available, as we assume he will. Uh, I mean, honestly, if this team just had a competent defensive center... They're a top six seed in the East. They're, yeah, they're really good because we know their offense. They had a top five offense this year. We know they can and be really was, good. When Hayward like pretty much didn't play and he was supposed to be their best or second best player. And there's, you know, I've seen, I don't know if you've seen like some of the reporting of like a potential like him for Brogdon and and uh, another, con- like him and Brogdon and Buddy Hewitt for um, Gordon Hayward. Like, I think that makes charlotte a lot better yeah i don't know why indiana would do that but i would do that as charlotte i don't know why indiana does a lot of the things they do except for getting tyrese halliburton Halliburton, pretty good um yeah no i i mostly agree with you i think atkinson has proven himself to be a a good coach if i were running the nets frankly i think he probably would still be the coach of the nets so uh we'll see and there's there's only uh one more opening left the utah jazz who have requested Every single coach. In I was going to say they're, they're interviewing everyone. <laughs> I, I actually got a call from Salt Lake the other day. I'm a little worried that that might've been my chance. Well, this podcast, like game four of the finals has been slightly off the rails, but you know, that's what happens when it's, when it's 1250 in the morning and uh, you just have, you're wired from watching one of the most insane basketball games of the year. So thanks everyone for sticking with us. Uh, you can leave us a rating and review 
wherever you listen to podcasts. That really helps out the show, helps the visibility, helps spread the word. You can also spread the word yourself. If you know someone you think would like the show, tell them about it, tweet about it, share it on whatever social media you want. Send a, a carrier pigeon about it. Honestly, if you if you send a carrier pigeon about it, please like send me video of the carrier pigeon being released. I would like that. That'd be fun. That that'd be good content. So yeah, spread the word in whatever way you can or want to. You can also send us an email at readandreactpodcast at gmail.com. Read and react podcast at gmail.com. That's the best place to send your thoughts, your questions, concerns, whatever feedback you have on the show. We welcome all of it, good, bad, or indifferent. You can send it there to read and react podcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to check out John's work covering Penn State athletics at the Center Daily Times. Follow me covering the NBA at the step back, not the step back at the NBA. I messed that up last time. The NBA is the thing, the step back is the website. I am the writer. You can follow me there if you'd like. Other than that, everyone stay safe, stay healthy, take care of each other, stay hydrated. And John, I'll talk to you later. Talk to you soon. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details.